0: Morning, Um, so before I say anything, I just want to say this, maybe you want to say it too, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit. interesting things about the Holy Spirit is that he, his job is to lead us into truth. So think about what you're asking. Come Holy Spirit. So we've been doing um, The armor of God. I say we've been doing the armor of God. We've been studying the armor of God. And the armor of God is just one of the most important things. Now, everybody who deals with this kind of subject, everybody from Martin Luther to Oswald Chambers to Joyce Meyer, God bless her, agrees on this one thing that the majority of spiritual battle for Christians happens in their own mind. The majority of battle that is experienced by most Christians happens in their own mind. There are two things about that. Number one, we have a mind. No, no, we really do, okay? You want to look at our political state and you might want to doubt it. You might want to look at the quality of our television programs and you might now disbelieve it. You might want to look at some of the choices that people make and totally deny it. But believe it or not, we really do have a mind. That's the first one. The other side of it is this. We are in a spiritual battle. Do you believe we're in a spiritual battle? Yes. Well, if we're in a spiritual battle, then being in a spiritual battle ought to affect our behaviour. Yeah? I mean that's one of the interesting things that I, I find. You know, mostly I've never been in an actual battle. Mostly, I've never been in an actual battle. So I have to use my imagination here, but I feel that I am not stepping out a long way when I suggest that in actual battles, there's a shortage of tourists. I I feel that's a reasonably fair comment. You know what I mean? There is a shortage of people with their phones going, You see, if you're in a battle, you're only one of two things. You're fighting, or you're dead. The only other option with a battle, and in actual real battles, by the way, this is my recommendation, you're not in it. However, a lot of people over the history have found themselves in battles whether they chose it or not. And here is the thing. If you choose Jesus, you choose to be in battle. You cannot be a spiritual pacifist. There's no such thing. And the reason for that is that there is a battle raging all the time. And it doesn't stop. It is relentless. So we've got to think about this. The predominant, not the only, but the predominant area of battle for the Christian is the mind. And we are in the battle whether we like it or whether we don't. Now don't get me wrong, the predominant spiritual battle for people who are not Christians is in the mind. And they too are in a battle whether they like it or not. There is a spiritual battle going on. And we have seen evidence all through history and we see it now. When people decide that they have enough power to do the good of everybody, Funnily enough, they seem to manage to abuse the majority. When on the other hand, human beings decide that they want to have their own exclusive freedom, they seem to manage to use that to abuse themselves. Is this an accident? No, it's not an accident. It's a battle. It's a battle. And the battle is not exclusive, but is primarily in the mind. Not in the hairstyle, in the mind. I like to think I'm stripped for battle. (laughs) But here's the other thing that maybe you haven't thought about, and it's this. Your mind, and this is biblical, Old and New Testament, your mind is your responsibility. Your mind is your responsibility, my mind is my responsibility. We are told in the Old Testament about how we should think and what causes us trouble. In the New Testament we are told to take control of our thoughts, take captive our thoughts. We are told that we actually get rid of fear through love and power and a sound mind. It's interesting that it's a battle. But here's the thing. If we will not take responsibility for our mind, Satan loves to do it. And we give control of our mind to the enemy. And we give it in lots of different ways. We give control to the enemy deliberately. Christians do this deliberately, and I'll tell you how that happens, it's because we have a thought that we know is wrong, but we like. We have a desire which is not helpful, but frankly, we enjoy it. I don't know about you, I'm sure you're much better than me, but can I tell you this about me? There are occasions where I really fancy a good sin. And it occurs to me, and I like it, because there's a sinful nature in me that battles. And I like it. And I know that what I ought to do is take command of that and dismiss it and Satan with it. And James promises us this, that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And that's what I ought to do. Do I do it? No. Why? Because I like it. I know you never do this, just me. And guess what, it grows, and it grows into sin, except the trouble is before it even became what we call sin, I'd already sinned, sin on sin on sin. And guess what, I don't feel spiritually warm and cozy, I don't feel spiritually safe, And here's the stupid thing, I'm in a battle. So at any point I could be confronted with something where I ought to respond spiritually. And yet I'm in sin. I feel inadequate, ill-equipped, I feel more vulnerable than the person I'm supposed to be sporting. Do you ever do that? No, of course not. I'm not saying that this is good, okay? I'm giving you the same advice that I gave you about Stormzy, okay? Irresponsible sinning is carried out by professionals like me. Under no circumstances should you ever try it at home. I'm only joking, obviously. No, I'm not joking. No, you, you shouldn't try it at home. I mean, you know, it's not. But this is the thing. We, we are vulnerable. So, we can sin through will and we shouldn't kid ourselves. One of the worst things about sinning through will is that we don't like being fronted up about it. Anyway, we can also give the enemy control of our mind through neglect. In other words, we just don't take care of our mind. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not talking about mental health issues. And here's one of the conundrums of life as we all know, we've got Dr. George up there and he knows everything there is to know about anything medical ever, okay? So um, I, I don't want to contradict him in any way, but here's the thing, right, sometimes we just don't look after our bodies and they get sick, is that fair? Okay, that's mostly our responsibility but sometimes we do look after our bodies and we still get sick. That's not our responsibility, does that make sense? Sometimes we look after our minds and we get sick. Sometimes we don't look after our minds and we get sick. Sometimes we look back when we're sick and think I should have taken better care of my mind. But that always, sometimes it just happens. But your mental health is not related to your spiritual health always. Sometimes, but not always. But it's our responsibility. We should do the best with what we've got. Your mind is the only mind you're gonna get. Looking after it is quite important. So, sometimes we leave our minds open because we are just ignorant of the fact that we're in a battle. We think we're only in a battle when we're doing something spiritual. You know spiritual, singing, praying, that kind of stuff, you know what I mean, the Christian bit. The bit that's separate from the rest of your life, you know. That's the only time we're in a battle. This is nonsense, but of course we can still get caught out. And then we give the enemy our minds because we carry things. We carry unforgiveness. We carry unrepentance. We believe lies. We follow things which are not helpful. We move into habits that aren't doing us any good. We leave ourselves wide open. And one of the things that I've noticed about this is... That you leave yourself wide open, that's when you stop fighting. That's when you don't battle. So let's just talk about this mind thing. Paul says this about the mind he says, for the Christian, we demolish arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And yet we find ourselves thinking, I don't know enough. What if somebody asks about that? I'll be uncomfortable. We find ourselves thinking, how am I in my lifestyle, supposed to witness that my life in Jesus is going to work better than the magazines and the airbrushed images? And how do I, when my head is filled with the things that it shouldn't be, take them captive and put them out the way? How do I do that? This is what we also hear. In Colossians, Paul says this, see that no one takes you captive. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Do you know, if you just follow your heart, if you just follow your heart, it doesn't actually mean that. It means if you just follow your emotions, but if you just follow your heart. That's uh, St. Disney." St. Walter of Disney tells us that, who's an important religious figure. There is no right, there is no wrong, there is no good, there is no bad, it's just what's going on in here. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the law of the Spirit is at war inside us with the law of sin and death. So that was interesting. In Romans it says, See, I see another law at work. Oh my goodness. It's like this has been planned. Don't worry about the time. I have no idea what a minute is, so you can tell. I have no idea what they're... Okay, Another law, waging war against the law of my mind. I see another law at work, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of of sin at work within me. Okay, so I give you that interesting scenario about me where I let myself get led. Even Paul did that, the Apostle Paul did that, and to be honest, I never met the guy, but occasionally I read what he writes and he frightens me, I don't know about you, I mean he seemed like a fiery bloke, Apparently, he was short with bandy legs and bald. I feel that one out of three with the Apostle Paul is not bad. This else, this further, in fact, this is a different passage by the way, in fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. This is Paul challenging the Corinthian church about how they are thinking. Do not be content with your home. You could have a better one. Do not be content with your job. You could have a better one. Do not be content with a sunny day. You could go somewhere where it's hotter. Do not be content with your friends. There are more trendy ones out there. Do not be content. That's a brilliant marketing ploy. Do not be content. Billions are made every year on that message. Do not be content. But it's an insult. And it's really interesting, this, isn't it? Just, just to point out, right, I just want you to follow this. We wander around discontent. But somebody goes up and goes, your house is a bit rubbish, isn't it? Guess what? You get all defensive. You go, oh, well, you know, your car's a bit rubbish. Look what other people have got. was go, my car. It's a strange juxtaposition. What goes on in our heads? So here we go. So the helmet of salvation is to protect our head. It's to protect our head. That makes sense, doesn't it? The helmet of salvation, right? Okay, I want you to know this, right? Okay, I've put on helmets before now. They weren't very comfortable. Okay, it's not what the Americans would call leisure clothing. Okay? Tracky trousers, polo shirt, steel helmet. It's an interesting look. Goes well with white trainers. Yeah? It's not. You only wear a helmet when you're in a battle. Yeah? Okay. If you're walking around a building site and you've got a hard hat on, people go, they're on a building site, they're wearing a hard hat. If you're going shopping and you put a hard hat on, they go, there's a weirdo. <laughs> yeah? Why would you wear it? You wear it because you're in. Well, it works the same way for the Christian. Take your helmet off. And you will be expelled from the battle, not by Satan and not by Jesus, but by yourself. You just stop fighting because we're not protected. The helmet, however, a helmet is protective, not defensive. Why do you wear a hard hat? You wear a hard hat so that you can go onto a building site. You don't wear a hard hat to look at a building site, yeah? Why do you put on your chainsaw face guard and all of that? You don't put it on so that you can stand and admire a chainsaw. You put it on so you can cut down a tree. Yep, it's it's how protective is not defensive. Protective means keep you safe so you, you can do. Does that make sense? keep you safe, so you can do. If you're never gonna do, you don't need it. And in a battle, if you're not fighting, and a helmet is there so that you can go forward and fight, and you know what happens when armies are in retreat, they start throwing off the armor so that they can run faster, run away faster. So, a helmet is on to move forward, not to go back. So, if we don't have our helmet on, we're either in ref- retreat or already defeated. So, this is what I want to tell you: winning is in the mind, spiritual winning is in the mind. And I want to tell you this because you don't actually have to win. Jesus already won, Jesus already won. The only thing that tells us that we're not winning is this. That's the only thing that tells us that we're not winning. But it's amazing how much we believe that. The money gets tight, the bills come in, the jobs pile up, the health goes downhill. People let you down and we feel like we are losing, even though we're winning. It's interesting. So why is that? Why do we feel like we're losing? I'll tell you, it's what we go in our mind. So I'm going to tell you the helmet of salvation protects us because we know that we are saved. Now knowing we're saved and understanding what that means is quite important. Because knowing that we are saved is, as we all know, no grounds for arrogance. People don't become Christians because they think they're better than everybody else. People become Christians because they know they're not. So we know it's not in us. So why do we end up feeling like we're losing? Well number one, maybe because we're not saved. And if you haven't met Jesus and had your life turned round, then let me introduce you today. Maybe it's because we don't believe. So we do think we're saved, but we have like like, like that partial thing, you know, where I'm saved from everything except this thing that keeps tormenting me. I'm saved for everything, but I somehow don't feel good enough. I'm saved from everything, but not like proper saved, like the really spiritual people that I see round about me. Don't believe that one, trust me. Um, you know, We don't because we listen to our emotions. Remember what I've told you before, emotions do not mature. The emotions you have as a toddler are the same ones you have when you're 70. Occasionally, I've got to say that I have seen toddlers react more maturely than some 70-year-olds, but that's just because of my unfortunate life experience. Our, Our emotions do not mature. We just learn to make them look grown up, but inside we know what we're like. We do what Peter does, and we look round at the circumstances in our life, and we stop believing that we have victory. Does that happen to you? We look at other people. There's a mistake. There's a mistake. We look at other people, what they've got, what they do, how, how righteous they appear. Do you know who's telling? I know this sounds bizarre, right? Because you'd think it was God going, look at them, they're righteous. Look at it because he did that with Job. But actually it's not. It's Satan going, look at them. They're more holy than you are. They're more saved than you are. When these challenges come up from God, you have to turn them down because you're not spiritual enough to do that. You're not saved enough to do that. Does that ever happen in your head? Just Richard. Richard, bless you Nate. We judge everything by the world's standards. Have you tried that? This is a common thing in churches. Just as a phrase in our heads, that's a bit rubbish. It goes in our head. This is a bit rubbish. This is a bit rubbish. The bride of Christ. Bride of Christ, you're a bit rubbish. The bride you make in Jesus, bit rubbish. I wonder who says that. The father of Jesus, father of lies. Who says that? Who are listening to? Who are listening to? We give up because we're angry. Angry is a big one. A lot of angry Christians out there. One of the things I enjoy about doing funerals is I meet people who used to come to this church and now don't because they're angry. Met a guy, stopped coming in 1967. He said... Um, I had flu for a couple of weeks and when I came back, one of the elders said to me, feeling better now? And I said, oh yeah, thank you. He said, well, you've missed two weeks, so I hope you're going to put twice as much in the collection. The guy never came back. I don't know if he was joking or not, by the way. I'd like to think he was, but I'm not convinced. But he was angry. He's been angry since 1967. I mean in the words of Frozen, let it go, yeah. goodness gracious. You know Satan's rubbing his hands and going that was an easy victory, that was an easy win. I can't get him out of God's kingdom but I can make sure he does nothing until he gets to heaven. Fantastic. I could go on because we know. But we can be saved from lots of things, from ineffective decisions. We can be saved from trying to save ourselves, work, achievement, all of that. We can be saved from trying to live up to siblings or get approval from human beings. The most common one, by the way, is parents that we try to get approval from, but not just. That, that we think that we can fix our lives by doing what we've already done or already got better. You know what Einstein said about the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and thinking you're going to get a different result. But Christians do that a lot. So I'm just going to talk about what the helmet of salvation does for a real second. All right. Do you ever read the Psalms? Who's read Psalms? Right, right. Okay. In the Psalms, King David, who's a king, he writes poetry, and I have to be honest that up until about three weeks ago, and genuinely three weeks ago, it's good to learn, isn't it? Three weeks ago, he used to really irritate me, all right? He was quite an irritating bloke, and I'll tell you for why, because he used to write Psalms, and he's written quite a few, but he used to write Psalms like Psalm 18. And he says this, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him, and I've kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. You able to say that? God, give me good stuff because frankly I'm perfect. You got the confidence to say that? I used to look at it and I thought, excuse me, you're an arrogant git, aren't you? You can't say that. In fact, history records what you've done, and it's not good. I mean, trust me, murder. You ever done that? If you have, Westgate, police office, make a clean breast of it, please. And if you want to confess to me, I want you to know that the law obliges me to go to the police. And by the way, that's happened to me. Anyway, how does he say that? You can't say that. It's really irritated me that. You know, the ones where he goes, Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. You know, I recognize that I'm a worthless worm. That's a good brethren statement, that one. Um, You know, I I know that I'm like grass and the wind will blow and I'll disappear. I'm good with all of this, but all of this for, you know, give me good stuff because I am righteous. That offends me or did. Until this, this is what I've come to realize. David got forgiven by God and he actually believed it. He got forgiven by God and he actually believed it. Where God said, here's a clean slate and he actually talks and acts like it's a clean slate. He used to irritate me, now I admire him. I'm thinking he's got it right. You know, in Christ we are declared righteous. We really are saved. I put my helmet on, and I am convinced of my salvation. Are you convinced of your salvation? All talk, thought, and sometimes action to the contrary. There's our helmet. When we know that we cannot be beaten, we cannot be beaten up, we cannot be... um, overwhelmed, that our emotions don't make us who we are, that we are not accountable to anybody that we see round about us, that we do not have to conform to the world's patterns, that all the things that we are filling our life up with, that actually make our life worse, not better. What I've discovered is the more affluent somebody's lifestyle, the more miserable they are. I'm not talking about now, I grew up in a family where where my, my parents made a lot of money. We lived in a street, people in my street, chauffeur turned up to take them to work, people drove Rolls Royces, they were all miserable, they were all miserable. Some of them were Christians, they were miserable, they were all miserable. Nobody among me and my siblings has ever made any money, guess why? because everybody we grew up with who had lots of money was flipping miserable. Their kids were miserable. Their marriages were miserable. Their homes were miserable. They were trying to prove something all the time. They were trying to live up to something all the time. They were trying to make a show to the neighbors all the time, they were miserable. No thank you, that's too much hard work. That's too much hard work. It's more work than worrying about whether you've got enough money to pay the electric bill. The thing is, you see, if you go to somebody else who can't pay the electric bill and you say, I can't pay the electric bill, they'll go, know oh, that's terrible, struggling. If you go to somebody and, and who's with your fancy car and you say, here, I've got a fancy car, they say to you, really? Look at what I've got. It's the sports model. It's next year's model. It's funny how that works. Just, just by the way. Anyway. I'm not knocking having money, I'm just saying it doesn't solve anything or make you happy. Or anything else, achievement, career, anything, only Jesus. So this is what I'm saying and I've gone on a bit because I don't know how long a minute is. If we do not genuinely believe that when we give our life to Jesus, our sins are wiped out and we are now saved and accountable to nobody and required to prove nothing to anybody but are safe and secure in the hands of God who will not let us out and will not hold our sins against us and can therefore march forward Saying to anybody, I follow Jesus, then we are tossed about and feel insecure and doubtful and nervous and wonder where our faith is and wonder why God isn't doing this and that. We become critical and grumbling. We we obsess about ourselves and our feelings and so on. If we put the helmet on, the opposite, we see people saved. We see the town transformed. We see your friends and your family come to Jesus. We see you in a photo booth with a smile on your face, that'd be good. This is what we have to do. There's a reason why we wear a helmet. It is to protect us so that we can take ground. Put your helmet on, people, put your helmet on, go fight a spiritual battle be nice to be winning wouldn't it hallelujah thank you jesus we just pray that you will convince us that convince us that when you say we are forgiven we are forgiven convince us that when you say we are clean we are clean convince us that when you say we are righteous we are righteous convince us lord But also discipline us that we will stop listening to lies. We will stop believing deception. We will put our helmet on and take control of our thoughts. In Jesus' name. Amen.